I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show. Our mission, to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today's episode, my whole job is about trying to teach you to feel in control of your finances. And you know what? I wish all the time there were more people doing what I do because I'm just one guy. So one positive out of the pandemic is we're starting to see more of a focus on how to reach and teach people when they're young, teenagers, 20-somethings, about how to learn more about money. And I'm also going to tell you, if I were your emperor, how I would fix income tax and other taxes in our great country. But one thing that has been glaring over the last decade in the United States is the brutal consequences for individuals and then collectively for our society when we don't educate people about money. The reality is efforts to teach about money in high schools have generally, and to younger people, have generally been extremely cynical efforts by banks to manipulate young people into being spenders, not savers. Thinking they're doing a great thing, teaching kids about how to use a debit card, how to use a credit card, how to spend on a checking account. Yeah, only in the evil empire of banking (laughs) would that be a good thing to do. By the way, I digress. Uh, Jamie Dimon, who now considers himself to be the grandfather of the banking industry in the United States, said in, he does this letter from Mount Olympus each year (laughs) to employees and stockholders of Chase. And he said, you know, these uh, new fintechs and these tech-oriented semi-banking kind of things, I'm paraphrasing them, they're going to eat our lunch because they do a better job than we do in banking. I guess you only say that when your legacy is already secure and you're <laughs> 65 years old. He should have talked to you a few years ago. Oh, no, he knew the drill. Yep. I mean, the, and he's created the most powerful bank in the world at Chase. And so when he had a, a near-death experience with his heart, I mean, Wall Street was like, I mean, it, it shook the banking sector to its foundations. I mean, he's a really respected guy. But the reality is the banking industry is so in need of disruption, and it's going to happen. But there's a lot of collateral damage with the lack of knowledge and lack of perspective that people have when they start earning their first paycheck, when they finish education at whatever level that is, high school diploma, technical school, college, some college, grad school, whatever, the common denominator is people finish their education, go out in the world, and have no idea about personal finance. So uh, any of a number of high school programs are being started around the country to educate high schoolers about it. And a lot of school systems and state education systems 
are not really into this. Others really are. And I don't know what the dividing line is, why some are and some aren't. But it's an opportunity to reach and teach as, uh, as something where it can make a difference. I remember at the high school my middle child graduated from, seniors were offered an optional course. They had to go to at 7 in the morning. No credit for it, but it was personal finance. And it was completely optional, taught by the then high school principal, who's a great guy who's now head of school at another school. But anyway, that's a different subject. He listens to our podcast, so he right. knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, he would teach this personal finance course, and you know, some kids would come, and they'd come occasionally, but it wasn't like a school requirement, school curriculum. And he made a difference in those kids' lives and how they'll handle money the rest of their lives. Well, something else that is a way to influence people is TikTok. And I've been reading how TikTok is moving on from just being quick dance videos. Oh, yeah. we Clark.com has a TikTok. We've been giving out financial advice on TikTok. And a lot of people, you go to where the customer is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there are any of a number of people who have a desire to teach and they're using TikTok as a way of teaching the basics of personal finance and however people want to be reached, however they can absorb the information, I want them doing so. And so TikTok is something that uh, most people over 18 had never heard of till the last year. So probably about now, Teenagers have moved on to a new format, and we just think it's TikTok. <laughs> but the idea of, of teaching in little snippets, personal finance concepts, is great. And the more you as a parent can talk to your kids, even starting at about age six, not to worship money, but to understand it and to understand how to make financial decisions. And understand why it's so much important, more important to save money than it is to spend. And the more they understand that concept from you really matters. But you know, the ultimate thing with kids is, has always been said, and especially true with money, they follow not what you say, but what you actually do. And my kids have had the misfortune of growing up in a household with me as their dad. They're so lucky. No, no. I mean, and, and, you know, all the stuff about money and all the times that you think they're not absorbing. And one by one, as they grow older, they understand so much and they're so good about how they handle money. So what questions you got, Krista? A couple about electric vehicles. Jordan in Colorado says, I understand your excitement about EVs, but I'm curious about your thoughts on what could be a serious lithium battery shortage in the near future. How can the vehicles come down in price if they're using a scarce resource? Will the battery technology be going away from lithium? Will there be a new way of recycling all those lithium batteries in order to use them in new generations of EVs? From a future, is it Rivian or Rivian? SUV owner, (laughs) fingers crossed. So I believe that the lithium batteries 
will be a transition technology. And a lot of people who know so much about this, so much more than I ever could, uh, put a lot of hope on solid-state batteries that don't have the heat problem, the potential fire risk, and charge a lot quicker, and don't use any um, precious metals, and so of any note. So I see that there's been continual incremental improvement in the cost equation with lithium-ion batteries, but that that is a temporary solution. The permanent solution, no doubt, is batteries. Batteries create so many changes in our life. Think about the phones that we all carry with us. There hadn't been so many improvements with lithium batteries. The phones would be just bricks we carry around. And so the vehicle thing with the batteries is going to be solved because there's so much science behind it and so much money pushing that science along. And Susan in Missouri says, I have sons who are visually impaired. When working with orientation and mobility specialists, as well as walking around the neighborhood, we rely heavily on being able to hear approaching cars. Electric cars pose a problem as they can't be heard. As an owner of an electric car, what do you propose be done to make it safer for the blind and visually impaired pedestrian? Wonderful question, because, you know, I've talked about the fun of sneaking up behind a friend in a parking lot because they don't hear you coming. Oof. You ever done that to anybody yet? No. No? It's fun. Mm -hmm. Then they kind of shudder when they realize you're right there. So um, in (laughs) Europe... Don't do that to me. In Europe, at low speed, electric vehicles have to emit a sound. In the United States, I remember there was going to be a requirement for that, but it seems it's only for backing up that you hear the noise. And so at low speed, having a requirement that electric vehicles emit a sound just so that people will have that audible cue, I think is really valuable. Because if you've never spent any time around electric vehicles, it is eerily quiet. You, at low speed, you hear nothing. Brent in Minnesota wants to know, what are the best value home camera security systems? I need at least two cameras and the ability to record events while I'm away for two to three weeks at a time. WISE, W-Y-Z-E, the WISE cam is the breakthrough product in low-cost security cameras. And WISE offers the ability for you to record to a micro SD card or to pay them to store data for you for an extended period of time. The WISE cams uh, offer various levels of sophistication starting at $20 a camera. It is the lowest-cost security camera system I'm aware of in the country. And when they do have deals on wise cams, we post them on clarkdeals.com. And Bobby, and I, and- I did, did I say wise W Y Z E? Because people look for it and they can't find it. They don't know how to spell. So there's a, <laughs> a Y in place of an I. And Bobby in Washington says, I'm working on paying off my mortgage early. Should I pay the additional principal with monthly payment or separately before the end of the billing cycle? I want to maximize the benefits of my additional principal payments. Bobby, you know, we had another question along these lines just recently as well about how mortgage interest is calculated. The United States different, as best I know, than every other country in the world. 
that mortgage loans are overwhelmingly configured on a monthly interest calculation instead of a daily. So you can just, on the uh, payment to the mortgage company, you can make an additional principal payment, either in a separate payment or just in your regular payment. Make sure they credit it as additional principal, and it will reflect with the full benefit against the principal and eliminating future interest just by making that additional principal payment each month. Uh, Coming up, I want to talk about how I would fix the mess with taxes in the United States. Because imagine how hard it is to plan anything in America where every time we have an election, tax policy changes with a new government. Yuck. Tax policy in the United States is a ridiculous mess. And if you are, let's say you're a corporation, you're a small business, you're trying to plan how things are going to work. And every time you turn around, tax policy changes again. And for individuals, every time we have a change in government, government that comes in decides to reward or punish who they want. And we have had that a lot in recent years where tax policy changes are made on a party line vote. So I can't even begin to tell you how idiotic that is. If there's anything about our system that should be truly bipartisan or not partisan, it's how we do taxes in the United States. But unfortunately, people use taxes as a way to settle scores to the great harm of individuals and fairness and the American system and economic growth that doesn't result because of an ever-changing tax policy. So there was a report recently how the top income earners in the country are able to lawyer an accountant up and avoid a lot of the taxes that, in theory, they're supposed to pay. Many of the strategies they use come under what's known as tax avoidance. Others are straight-out tax evasion, which is avoidance is legal, not necessarily ethical, and evasion is illegal, is criminal behavior. And the reality, you're never going to take away the ability of rich people to manipulate the system because they can afford to lawyer an accountant up. They also can give money to members of the Congress, particularly the House Ways and Means Committee, and get special provisions put in the tax code that can be so specific they drill down to only helping an individual taxpayer or an individual family. The only way to truly promote a non-corrupt tax system in the United States is to completely simplify the tax code of the United States. And I'm a pointy-headed fan of what Ronald Reagan and the Democrats worked out together in 1986, which was known as a modified flat income tax, that you simplify the code, eliminate all the games and gimmicks, phase-ins, phase-outs, and all that, and you have a simple flat income tax that is 10% for most Americans 
And at the time in 1986, it was 28% for higher income earners. So you know going in that what you're going to pay is what you're going to pay. No games or gimmicks. Doing your income tax would take, even for a higher income taxpayer, would take just minutes. But you'd eliminate the people who game the system. And the ultra-wealthy, particularly trust fund babies and people who inherit money, who are able to avoid paying tax virtually at all on the money they earn. You get corruption out of the process, out of the system. You get cheating out of the system if you make it ultra, ultra simple. Now, remember, I said that we did this 35 years ago. If it was so great, what happened? What happened was the corruption of Washington. And people started getting the special tax gimmies put in the code just for them. And then tax rates started having to go up to make up for the money that people were able to influence their way out of paying. If we had the public will, the cultural will, and people, let's face it, people are pretty resentful today of all the stacked deck corruption going on. If we had the public will and we went to a modified flat income tax, like we had briefly starting in 1986, we would have a system that is truly more equitable understandable, and may I use the word fair. Because right now, you know what the top income tax rate is in the U.S. today? It's 37%. It's been 39.6. It's even at one time in the Eisenhower administration, it was 91% top income tax rate. Who paid that 91%? Not a soul. (laughs) because they gimmick their way out of paying taxes. And that was why uh, President Kennedy came up with what then was an incredibly revolutionary tax reform that lowered rates to more realistic levels, and people didn't feel a need to game the system as much. But the Reagan system, again, that was done with the Democrats... (laughs) is the way you make the system work best. And everybody could understand, you pay 10%, you know, tithe, you pay 10% tax to the federal government, unless you're making big bucks, then you pay 28%. Everybody would understand it. And if it was left well enough alone, we would still be doing that today. That's why I have to be your emperor to implement something like that. That's why I could never get elected to anything, right? <laughs> I'm sure we'll get a lot of Clark stinks on that. You think we will? Well, just because everyone definitely has their opinion on taxes. Well, we'll definitely hear from people who are in favor of a national sales tax in lieu of income tax. And that is a viable alternative as well. There was even a very clever marketing term for that back, uh, I think, in the 90s, called the fair tax. And that did not make it through the Washington 
system, but having flat taxes create certainty under people are able to understand them, creates fairness, and people are able to make long-term decisions if you really pass something like that and really live within the bounds of it. Speaking of taxes, Mark in Oklahoma wrote in and said, Clark, I've gone from 2015 to 2020 without filing my taxes. From 2015 to 2018, I exempted nine on my taxes. I never received any letters from the IRS asking me to file, so I figured I didn't owe anything. I finally got to a CPA and had all of my years filed. After the CPA filed them, I owe the IRS $18,000. So I'm lost on what I need to do. Would it be best to hire a tax attorney or try and do the Fresh Start program with the IRS or just end up making monthly payments? Okay, Mark, I'm so glad you came out of the cold because it doesn't get better with time not filing. The $18,000 you owe is based on the calculations of the CPA. And the CPA, um, if they're willing can attempt to negotiate a payment plan for you or some level of potential forgiveness for you. But if you really want uh, the best advice, you are right that you hire a tax attorney to do this. The amount of tax you owe is a lower amount than tax attorneys usually get involved in. So you want to definitely get uh, quotes from a tax attorney, what it would cost for them to represent you an attempt to negotiate a settlement or payment plan with the IRS for you. But the great news is once you come forward and you filed, the penalties that you might face are reduced. Marshall says, is Experian Credit Boost legitimate or is it a gimmick? Experian Credit Boost is legit, but it is uh, something that people dismiss as a gimmick because lenders don't widely look at it. It is uh, an idea from Experian, which is a little ahead of its time, but is certainly where uh, things are going, where you're evaluated on wider criteria than just simply your credit lines, where other things you do in your life are brought into factor in what makes you a better or worse credit risk. So I really like what Experian's trying to do, and there are any of a number of fintechs that are doing lending based on um, alternative criteria that has nothing to do with credit reporting and credit scores. And that's because the deep data available today is far, far more predictive and sophisticated than what the traditional uh, Equifax, TransUnion, Experian credit reporting and FICO scoring would lead to. So I love what experience trying to do. It just isn't ready for prime time. And Michelle in Connecticut says, I love your advice. I realize you can't answer all your questions. So I have to, so you have the Ask Clark hotline, but how qualified are the people answering the phone? Uh, wonderful question. So our center director for uh, Team Clark for the Consumer Action Center is a lawyer. We have two other staffers that are extraordinarily experienced. And then we have volunteers that either are generalists or specialize in a particular area of expertise, often based on what they do for a living or did for a living if they're now retired. Some of the volunteers have been with us more than 20 years, and most have been with us more than 10. So they are very experienced 
providing advice. And uh, I hope that when you do reach out to the Consumer Action Center, that you can see how to do that because it's completely free at clark.com slash CAC, that you will get advice that you can value and put to work in your life. And I want to thank you for being a part of Team Clark. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe, review us, and share us with your friends. 